Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio. Hello, hello everyone. This is Helena Steiner-Hornstein talking to you from Miami. I'm back in the United States. I'll be here for a couple of weeks and then I should go back to Europe. And all Swedish listeners and all Norwegian and Danish and Finnish listeners, next month, the month of July, will be Swedish-speaking month. And I will conduct this show in Swedish. And I will have Swedish-speaking guests. So everyone else in the world, if you don't understand Swedish, come back to us. Be back with us as from August the 1st. But anyway, I'm so grateful that you tuned in today. I'm so happy that you're back with me. And I was thinking about this just before we started the show today, how happy I am that you are there and that you are taking the trouble to tune in. And I know so many of you, you don't have the computers at home. Instead, you have the computers at work. But to listen to me, you go to the library. And isn't that nice? I think that is absolutely wonderful. I have a guest today. Her name is Laura Duxta, and uh, she is also called the bald chick, and we will talk about that uh, in a little minute. She hasn't uh, connected with me yet because I said, give me a couple of minutes. <laughs> so I'm sure she's waiting for uh, for uh, me to listen to her in a little while. And uh, in the meantime, I would like us just to begin to stretch out and feel relaxed and feel really relaxed about the one you are. You take a deep breath now. And you know that within you there is a place, that is a place that knows all and sees all. And that place is your higher self. That is the light within you, your very, very best friend in this very special world. That is spirit, that is your God light. And now you just for a second close your eyes and take a deep breath and you begin to connect with your body and feel how your legs so relaxed and they feel good and your feet feel good too and you stretch your ankles and now you stretch your arms and just move them around a little bit and stretch your shoulders I know someone told me once you can't stretch your shoulders and I said of course you can't stretch your shoulders and you stretch your spine and bend forward a little bit. And now you just feel that you have a light within you. And that light is spreading all throughout your body. And it makes you feel strong, really very, very strong and powerful and rich. It makes you feel so incredibly powerful and happy today. And now you open your eyes and you stand up if you can. 
and you begin to feel how your body is stretching way up high. It's like you have grown much taller and taller, and it feels very good that way. And now you take another deep breath, and you sit down again. You know, some people believe that when you're spiritual, you have to be poor. And I wonder, why do you think that way? Oh, no. To be spiritual is just opening up yet another door for the big riches out there. And any time you're ready to go, you're free to begin to start your connection with your spiritual self to get to those places where you so much would like to be. And now you take another deep breath and you feel so good about you. And I'm here for you. And Laura will call in, I hope, in a few seconds. And any time you have a wish and desire to speak to her, please call up the number you see on the screen. And Laura is someone I have met some years ago. She was someone I remembered from day one because she had no hair. And she would tell you about that, too. And at that time, I had never seen anyone really. I hadn't seen a girl really without any hair. I had seen many men without hair. And I had even been married to someone without hair, almost. <laughs> he had what we call a large forehead. But otherwise, this was something very, very new to me. And I hope that those of you listen out there uh, who are ready to maybe find out a little bit more about our, our hidden treasures within us and how we should not allow something that is not of the uh, ordinary to stop us. And now I think we have Laura there, and I'm going to connect with her. And hello. Hi, Helena. How are you? Hello, Laura. There you are. And... Um, I finished my little monologue maybe one minute too early, so there you are. I'm so happy you called in when you did Excellent. call in. I was on with you doing the, the visualization with you. <laughs> oh, well, very good. And it was just, um, you know, I don't really like to speak over the telephone. I'm one of these people. I want the live meetings. I like to watch the person I'm speaking to. I like to watch the crowd I'm speaking to. And it feels already much better now that you are on the other side Excellent. of the telephone. But, Laura, you know, you are what I would call uh, a success story. First, did I get your name right? Is it Laura Duxta? Perfect. Yes, D-U-K-S-T-A. <laughs> and I have announced you also as a bald chick. Why do you think I have done that? <laughs> well, because what your listeners can't see is that I have absolutely no hair. And I lost my hair to a condition or disease called alopecia areata when I was 11 years old and wore wigs for 19 years and was very miserable and introverted and shy and just thought that my life was over. Yeah. And, uh, you know... I said before, oh, I've never seen any, any woman without hair naturally before. But I remember when I went to school, there was actually a little girl there who always walked around with a scarf around her head. And uh, I was asking my, one of my little friends, I was probably six, seven at the time, 
And she looked very pretty, but definitely she had no hair on her head and she had no eyebrows and no eyelashes. And I asked the other, what, why is she wearing a scarf and what's wrong with her? And they said, she has a disease, you know, and that was the end of, of our conversation. <laughs> yeah. That was even and, how it was when I was growing up. They just said, you know, there's really nothing we can do about it, you know, from the, the children's hospital in Boston. There's nothing we can do about it. Get her a wig and don't tell anyone because that's what people did back then. You know, it, we weren't, um, it wasn't suggested or recommended that we talk about it, that we, you know, try to make others and ourselves more comfortable by sharing. Was it, how did you, what did your friends say at school at that time? Um, one of the things that I've really come to learn to believe is I had a best, my hair was long, brown, and wavy all the way down my back, and it started falling out like in a nickel-sized patch. And I, I should say alopecia areata is an autoimmune disease like most, and it's stress-triggered like most good diseases. And, but they really don't know, you know, they can't say for certain what causes it, or, and they don't have any great, um, you know, they don't have any... Um, western kind of medicine to fix it so my friend also my best friend at the time had long brown wavy hair and she didn't want to be my friend anymore because even though we could tell her that it wasn't contagious she was yeah. still afraid you know and, yeah. and now looking back on it i can understand but i also remember like my best friend not wanting to be my friend anymore and kids teasing me and wanting to know and wanting to pull at it and what I've come to learn over the years is that, you know, my family didn't really know any better, and neither did I. So we were really acting like this is the worst thing that ever happened. This is terrible. I'm never going to be able to do all the things that I dreamed of doing, and nobody's ever going to like me. And that's how the world showed up. It was yeah. slowly, you know, over many, many years when I started kind of shifting the way that I was feeling about it to, hey, this isn't so bad. And maybe if when I was a kid I said, this isn't so bad, my sister can't pull my hair, I don't have to get haircuts, I don't get shampoo in my eyes. If I was <laughs> thinking like that, my experience yeah. would have been different. Yeah. But because of what I was putting out there, that was the experience that I got back. Uh, what do you think the difference is today if, when this happens to, to young children? Do you think uh, we have psycho they go to psychologists or psychiatrists or they have a certain treatment center psychologically or what do you, what is going on nowadays? Well, my mom definitely tried to get us to go to a family therapist, but at that point I was like, oh, this is crazy. I don't want to do this. So you can really only go, you know, if if you want to. And I would say that my my father was just as unwilling to go as me. So there has to be a willingness to go. And today I, I still think it's a very, um, you know, person-to-person -person experience because I meet, I've met dozens, maybe actually hundreds of children that have it that are so well-adjusted. They wear yeah. a scarf when they want to wear a scarf. They wear a wig if they want to wear a wig. If they want to go to the amusement park, though, or swimming, you know, they'll, put, they'll either go au natural, bald, or they'll put a scarf on. And that's because they've been brought up in families where they you know the, the family's probably gone into school and talked to yeah. the classroom about it and i really do believe that the more that we talk about something and let people understand it then that fear or that unknowing is taking taken away and people don't you know 
feel the need to or even the desire to pick on or tease. Um, but then I also still meet some people to, you know, today that either have children or even adults that have it that say, oh, that's so great for you, but, you know, my, my daughter is seven, so she has to wear a wig. Or, you know, I have to go to work, so I have to wear a wig. And what I like yeah. to say to people is if there's any way that you can take out the, if you can get out the have to and have it be a choice, so I think that there's a yeah. real freedom. I'm not against yeah. people wearing wigs, but if they can say, all right, I'm choosing to wear a wig because I feel more comfortable at work like this. But if I want to, I know that I can go to the supermarket or I can go to the beach with a scarf on or nothing. It's when you yeah. feel like there's, like there's this, like, you know, there's this have to because there's something wrong with you. So, in, you know, because of that, you have to cover it up. That's what I think really eats away at people's, you know, self-esteem and love and just sense of self and energy. Yeah, and I think one of the key words you also said was understanding. And the first thing is we have to understand who we are ourselves. Uh, is it so important that I have all my hair, or do I have other qualities about me, or do I do I have other looks about me? And also that the surrounding, you know, I think the problem about this planet is that we don't have enough understanding for each other. And understanding somehow is also synonymous with love, isn't it? Love and understanding. It's unconditional love in a way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. For yourself first, right? And yes, yourself it. first. It's so important. And, um, of course, when I met you the first time, you already exuded a certain... Uh, that you, I think at the time you were between wigs or not wearing wigs. I don't remember really what it was, but uh, what do you think that this has been meaning to you, this particular physical challenge? Um, You know, it was so brilliant to meet you, and it was right at the beginning, really, of my spiritual path or... I guess the second leg of my spiritual path. I say the first the first leg came when I was about seven, and then I got yeah. off the path for quite a while. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and then I met up with you right after I had stopped wearing wigs, and I was I I think there was already a sense of like a sense of courage or a sense of accomplishment that I had stopped wearing them. But now looking back on those days, I was still really pretty uncomfortable in trying to get um, acclimated to my life now, being in the world as a bald woman, which there just aren't that many of us, even though, you know, it's become a little bit more popular and people are always telling me, oh, it's trendy. It's in fact It is trendy. You know, you see movies with bald women, you know, how women have shaved. (laughs) But um, I really do believe that this has been my biggest life lesson and I'm a firm believer in that our biggest challenges become our biggest blessings and sometimes they take sometimes they take minutes sometimes they take weeks months years you know mine took at least 19 years maybe even a little bit more to really come full circle and for me to see all the gifts that I had gotten out of this experience and it it was it was in it was about 10 years into the experience that a guy that I was dating at the time, I tried to pull the feel sorry for me card, which I rarely, rarely, rarely ever ever pulled. And he looked at me and he said, don't use that. He's like, you would never trade your hair for the person that you are today. And that was the first person that told me, 
trade yeah. like that. And he was—he's very right. I would never trade my hair for the for the life that I've been able to experience through this lesson. Yeah, and I know from my own life, and of course, uh, as I have moved on in life, and the years have gone by, the so-called tough times, the hard times, have been actually like being given the capital. It's it's been making me much, much more of a knowledgeable person, of a better person, of a more loving person. And uh, had I been, for instance, had I married my first love, which, of course, he wanted to, <laughs> and had stayed married through my life to this man, my life wouldn't have been anything. It wouldn't have been anything like what I'm having now. Instead of making it easy, I picked a very, very difficult lifetime. And, uh, you know, it it feels good that way because the rewards are so great uh, once you overcome the difficulties. And I feel you are really showing that. And one thing about you, and maybe I'm jumping too fast here, but you have a best-selling book. And it was not writing about your boldness, which usually is the case, you know. When people have a problem, they write about their problem. You wrote about love for children. Um, I feel very blessed, and I, you know, I hadn't really looked at that it, that way, though. Or even what I what I heard you say, so many people when I get on interviews and that they don't know the book or don't know me, they're like, "Oh, is this about you know your alopecia? About you know your story?" And, yes. Um, what I what I loved what I heard and what you shared was that I didn't write about the problem I wrote about the solution, and I really do believe that love is the answer, and that if our children knew that they were loved and people realize how loved they are by source, you know, by one another, that we would really anything would be possible. Um, let's see, I. It was it was really a god it was absolutely a godsend. One night I found myself praying for my sister and it was many it was after wearing wigs for about 18 years and mm-hmm. and this is I the inspiration it. for this book, is it? Yes. This is how it started. Mm-hmm. Um my I had gotten very far off the path. I had been drinking a lot and using drugs and I had been bartending for 7 years after graduating from college, not sure what I wanted to do with my life. And one night I found myself praying for my sister, and I said, oh, this is kind of strange. I don't really pray like this anymore, like an end of the night, dear God, watch over my sister kind of prayer. And something clearly answered me and said, your sister's fine. Pray for your nephew. And I thought, this is even stranger. Not only do I not pray like this, but something just clearly answered me. But I did as I was told, and I began praying for my nephew. And as I did, this whole idea for this book, I Love You More, just poured through me so much so that I had to get up and pull out a piece of hotel stationery and write the ideas down. And a friend of mine woke up and said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm writing a children's book. And yeah. that was really the inspiration for the book. And, of course, there, uh, and it's a lovely, lovely, I would say little book. No, the book is large in format. It's like, what is it, 8 by 10, something like that? Yeah, a little bit bigger, a little square. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, and have lovely drawings by one of your friends uh, whose name is, what is her name? Her name is Karen Kiesler, and we go by the nickname Hippie and the Bald Chick. Because she Which is a wonderful combination. Yeah. <laughs> Irresistible. Everyone will want to have you on their show. <laughs> and uh, the book is, is so cute. And, you know, you wrote a nice little dedication to me. 
in uh, in the book, but you know, it took me a long time before I noticed that because uh, it's two sided. You have two beginnings. Yes, we and can. I open the other front. You know, right. uh, why does it have two beginnings? Well, like we, like I said, like love, it never ends, and that there's two sides to love: the giving and receiving. And I also believe that it represents the the infinity symbol, like mm-hmm. love. You know, it never ends. So the book reads from both sides to the middle, and then you you flip it over and read it from the other side. And on one side, it's the child asking the mother, "Mommy, just how much do you love me?" And she responds, "Grand things. I love you longer than the longest path ever wound. I love you prettier than the prettiest flower ever found." And usually that's what you get in, in a book is it's usually a one-sided conversation, usually the child asking a question and the parent responding, you know, in, in children's books. And then, though, on our book what makes it a little unique is that when you flip it over, the mother reverses the question to the child and says, well, just how much do you love me? And he responds more childlike things about caterpillars and frogs and bubbles and kites. So you really get the, the two perspectives in there, yeah. uh, the balance. so so nice uh and uh, how does love influence your own life uh laura it might be a kind of corny question in a way but uh, i really mean it uh, unconditionally i mean it uh, i'm sure you can find the answer for this yeah no I, I definitely know because people say like oh you wrote a book about love isn't that sweet and it is a sweet book but love to me, I really do believe that love is all there is and that we live in a, in a universe, in a world where I believe that source is omnipresent, right? And it yes. connects each and every one of us and is in each and every one of us. So that means that, you know, like that saying, where is God not? So, and to me, source is love. So where yeah. is love not? So I have- always call source uh, the light. Uh, because I work with the light uh, as energy. Yeah, light, love, source, creative energy, but it's in everything. And so I believe that the the goal of our lifetime and what helps bring us to peace and balance is to look at those situations which we just can't see the light and the love in and say, okay, where is this or how is this serving? How is this a benefit to me or to the world? And if I can take my alopecia and say, all right, I know the drawbacks. I knew those, you know, basically from the beginning, but what are the benefits? And I start to balance it out. I believe that I come to, like in quantum physics, they would explain that the positive and the negative come together to make light, which is what they would explain energy or really God to be. And so if you can do that on an individual basis, we have to be able to do that on a global basis. So we can look at events in the world that are happening and and know that if there's drawbacks, there's also benefits. And I absolutely believe that there's an equal amount or else that the universe would almost cease to exist. So to me, love is actually a much deeper conversation than the maybe even the love felt between a parent and child or the love experience between, you know, a husband and wife or partners. Yeah, no, love is an energy that uh, is uh, of the universe, I would say. Um, You have uh, worked with many teachers, uh, and I've heard this from you also, 
from all kinds of teachers. How has that influenced your life? Because evidently we all need some little outside push once in a while. I believe so. I, you know, on one hand you can say all the answers dwell inside your heart, but sometimes there's blocks, which was one of the blessings in meeting you. You're one of the teachers that I worked with and definitely opened my mind and heart up to the idea of energy. And I think it, I think it might have been from you the first time that I heard about chakras and the yeah. different colors and the green healing energy light. But one day I was, I really do believe, probably recovering from a hangover on the couch, and I said, there must be something better to do with my life. I said it in my head, and I started flipping through the stations on the TV, and I found Wayne Dyer speaking on TV, who I had never heard of, and I was like, oh, this is what I was talking about. Okay. <laughs> on public that, television, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing, right. You would have thought maybe I would have gotten my butt up off the couch and gone out and found something, but I found it right there when I asked for it. Um, and they kept referring to that he was going to be at the Science of Mind Center in about a month and a half. And I kept it in my yes. mind, and I kept seeing the, um, you know, the special. I'm sure it was a PBS special. And I went with my – I was unemployed at the time, but I went with $26 bills and $9 and change to buy my $35 ticket. And I went to see him speak, and it was a room, a packed room, standing room only with over 500 people and I connected with him that night, and he gave me a CD, and, you know, my life was changed at that night. That night I, I knew that there were resources out there for me to start, you know, discovering and, you know, material to read, classes to take. So Wayne Dyer was a big instrument in my life, yeah. and then and through him I found John Martini from The Secret as well. And that's how I found you also from the Science of Mind Center. And yeah. Really loved working with all these. I I remember that particular night when he was at Science of Mind Center, and I had one of the front seats. I don't know how the heck I got that seat, but uh, evidently someone had given it to me, and I took notes, and I still have those notes. And uh, I think it's very important for all of us. We are never uh, uh, perfect, you know. We have to complete our knowledge. We have to keep on learning and learning and learning. There is no end station in the learning process. And sometimes I have people who say to me, oh, yes, uh, you know, I would love to come to your seminar, but I know all that stuff already. When do you have a class for more advanced? And I always say, oh, wait a couple of weeks and I get back with you. Of course, I never get back with them because, you know, you absorb a little bit the first time you absorb much more when you are closer to the truth, so to speak. You never know enough. It's like yeah, reading no, a book. You know, you, even your book with a few words, I'm sure that people get more and more out of it each time, just like they do with my book. I have people who read my book like 15 times and still they see something new in it. So, you know, the message is there but we cannot absorb it all the first time. Absolutely. And that's one of one of my favorite uh, you know, ways that I have been coached is by to give up the sentence, I know that. And to catch yourself when you say that, it's your mind not wanting, like resisting expansion and to stay in yes. the status quo. And there is not a book, like you said, that you can't reread or a seminar even or a class that you can't reattend that you won't get something new from because we're always expanding. 
And so in that expanded sense and awareness of yourself, you're going to hear something differently. Someone's going to ask a different question. That experience happened with my book. It was after about two years after I had self-published it. I was um, driving along. I was listening to a CD of Michael Beckwith, who is the minister out at Agape in California. A lot Mm -hmm. of people saw him on Oprah, and that's one of my favorite spiritual centers. I was listening to one of his CDs while I was driving, and tears were pouring down my eyes. And I'm sure I'd probably listened to that, even that same CD before. I had to pull over to the side of the road, and I heard the voice in my head again. And it said, or maybe it's my heart, it said, your book is actually a message between creator and child. But the, yeah. the relationship that most people would understand is mother and child. So that's why it was written like this. So then I began to read my book and tried to take it in at that level of this is how much love you know, Source has for us and if, what, what would life look like if we got that. That's great. You know, to me, it's incredible. Here you self-publish a book, and you sold close to 180,000 copies for a self-published book. How did you do it, Lord? I'm sure there are lots of aspiring uh, authors out there who would like to know. Yeah. You know, it's just, it was actually, I'm sure it was at a seminar. One thing, I do have a CD on my website with a lot of marketing tips for aspiring authors. Okay. Do you want to give us the name of your website, please, sure, it's Laura? My name. Yeah, which is Laura Duxta. So L A U R A and then D U K S T A dot com. And you can find a lot of information there. But two of the tips from my CD. One is what we've already shared. I tell people on my CD, and they just think that they're getting a CD about how to market your book successfully. But I said one of the things that I did is I took on my life. So it wasn't, as, it wasn't what I knew about publishing so much that helped me succeed. It was, you know, different types of workshops and seminars about human potential and self-development that said anything is possible. Go out and ask unreasonable requests of people. Um, you know, create a, a cause or a possibility greater than yourself and live into that. Um, create projects that start in the future and work your way backwards. And then, you know, have people hold you to account in fulfilling on those projects. So it wasn't so much what I learned about the publishing industry to, you know. It's really marketing. Everything is marketing. Everything's marketing. I tell people, you know, you can have a great book, but you don't want 3,000 copies of a great book sitting in your garage. You, like 10% of it is really writing the book, and then the rest of it's really, you know, who's your market and how are you going to get it out there? And yeah. one of the best tips that I got inside of the publishing world was, one of the toughest places that we love our bookstores, it can be tough. To, it can especially be tough to sell a self-published book to a bookstore because they have so many other titles and publishers that they already deal with. But yeah. even if you do get into a bookstore, you're one of you know, 10,000 other books. So this piece of advice was where else is your market and how can you find them? You know, where did they go? And the, the gentleman who had given me that piece of advice, he wrote books about parachuting. And oh, so yes, I know. And, and uh, he says that, uh, what is it, a bookstore is a lousy place to sell a book. 
I have sent it I try, too. Now I don't. Now I, I. I think I quoted him as saying a bookstore is the worst place, but I don't like to say that anymore. I just say it's a tough place, and it is. It's a yeah. lousy. It's not a lousy place. It's just. Yeah, I heard it from himself. He said it's a lousy place to sell <laughs> right. a book. Yeah. I think I've gotten myself in trouble by saying that. I don't like to put that out into the world because we've done incredibly well now in the bookstores. Too. Yeah. But our market, sure. our, where we sold our books self-published, we weren't in bookstores at all. We sold it at American Craft and Gift Galleries across the country. And these were specialty shops that didn't carry very many books, but our book made such a lovely gift book, especially for children and grandchildren, yeah. that people were just, and, you know, people would see the title and they'd say, oh, I love you more. That's what I always, my mother always said to me. So they might buy one for their 80-year-old mother. Or their six-year-old. Yes. It's a good, good title that way. And yes. you know, I went to Barnes and Noble for Christmas, and I was going to buy a book for my grandson. And I saw your book, and I thought, "Hey, it's come all the way here." <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and that was great, you know, to see that. So, and now you have sold over a quarter of a million books, which is yes. fantastic. And you have been bought by a publisher. Yes, Source Books, which I loved the name. I thought that that was absolute divine guidance, and yes. I had to ask the woman who owns the company. I said, where did you come up with the name? And she's like, oh, I said, you know, is it something spiritual? And she said, oh, no, I just wanted it to sound really big. I said, all right. <laughs> that's all right. Oh, that's nice. I'm so glad that I found you. They yeah. love our book and its message, and so yeah. we really feel like we've got an incredible team to bring this message of God's love into the world. Yeah, and this is what it is about. We need uh, we need uh, this message for the world, and you are doing more than just uh, talking about your book. You have a vision, and you have a mission that is evidently much bigger than this one book. Do you want to speak a little bit about that, Laura? Yeah, I'd love to. And that was, you know, it was, that was one of the exercises from several of the courses that I had taken that said create a possibility or create something to step into that's just, it's a game worth playing but so big that you probably never fulfill on it, but it will be worth your life. So we created the possibility or the mission of generating the conversation of love around the world. And I'm doing that through books, speaking, music, TV, film, and the web. And so now I have this first book that's obviously done so well and my publisher's just bought my second book, which will be out next year. And I've got 13 songs that I'm working on, which... Uh-huh. What is the books, second book about? Uh, the second book is going to be... It's also going to be a flip book, which is, is really nice because I hadn't had the idea for many years. I hadn't had another good flip book idea. But this one's going to be about how you are a gift to the world, and the other side will be about how the world is a gift to you. So it will, um, you know, really capture the importance of taking care of, of the planet, but also what we bring, our creativity, our genius, our joy to the world. Yeah. That seems to be a theme uh, in the world now. We have to take care of the planet. And uh, I, uh, little things like, you know, I happen to love broccoli. I can have broccoli for breakfast because, you know, I don't eat the jams and the toast and things. It, it makes me feel lazy for the rest of the day. But anyway, when I'm back in America here and I have my broccoli, it doesn't even taste the same thing. It, it even smells bad, you know. It has, it's like it's stenching of chemicals. 
and uh, I have to eat the organic uh, broccoli. And the same goes for potatoes. You know, this country has ruined the potato, <laughs> and that's why you put all the cream and butter and bacon on it. Uh, potatoes are absolutely delicious when you eat them just with nothing. But it's very hard to find a good potato because everything has been so ruined by the chemicals that you they, they put in the soil to make everything grow much faster or, or whatever it is. And uh, I miss that particularly in America, the vegetables that they don't taste the way they're supposed to taste. I'm used to, you know, I, I lived in the country. I'm used to growing potatoes and broccoli and, and kale and everything else. And I'm used to the flavor of it. But it's very, very hard to get used to this, whatever it is they're calling it, that doesn't taste the way it's supposed to taste, the way God meant it to taste. And that's just one of the steps in our world, how we have to take care of it, how we have to go back to the original us. Yeah, I think for a while we just weren't thinking, you know, and that's that's what happens. Sometimes with progress you just, you're moving so fast that you kind of forget to think about the, you know, the big picture. Or yeah, also us, our spiritual selves, that we forget the light, we forget source also. That's the same thing. Right, and how important it is to nurture ourselves with yeah. the incredible, you know, abundance that we have been provided with. So uh, Going back to the books, because I, I know that people still out there intrigued by the books, how you... How, how you can make that a success. What what bits of advice would you like to give uh, to aspiring authors out there uh, who would like to make their books a success the same way you did it? Yeah, well, you know, the specifics the that I already shared were um, to take on some other seminars. One of the seminars that really helped me tremendously was Landmark Education, and I definitely feel like my that prayer led me to where I needed to be. I loved working with John D. Martini, but Landmark Education really gave me a. Um, it was their it was their program called Self Expression and Leadership, where you actually created a project, and and it was over a three month period of time, and they mm-hmm. had you helped you make it happen in the world in kind of an unprecedented way, and that technology was priceless to me and yeah. what I've been able to accomplish with my own publishing company. Um, the other bit of advice is to really even you know while you're writing your book if you're still writing it to really be focused on who's my market and how can I write for them and how can I you know you want to almost start thinking of your marketing plan before you start writing your book or as you're writing your book or if you have your book already that's really what you want to you know put in place is where is your market and how can you best reach them? And whether that's through radio programs like the one that you're doing, which is so awesome, um, you know, a, a different type of store perhaps than a bookstore, doing seminars or teleseminars, which is so popular now, but how can you reach your market? Um, one of the things that we love to do are um, school visits because I can go and know that I'm going to speak to 300 students in a day and that they're going to go home with flyers that say, you know, New York Times best-selling author Laura Duxter is going to be at our school, and if you'd like yeah. a copy of her book, then send in your check. Whereas if we try to do a signing at a local bookstore on a Saturday morning, you never know how many people are going to show up, and let me tell you, it's not going to be 300 unless you're Hillary That's Clinton or, 
Yeah. <laughs> Wayne Dyer. Now, you, you have worked it very, very well and uh, from the right uh, angle, which is so fantastic that you have not only done it, but you really dared do it. You were bold. You went ahead. And I believe you knocked on doors. And I think even your mother helped you in the process about about it in, in the very beginning, didn't she? Yeah, she did. My mother was a kindergarten teacher for 38 years. So needless to say, when I came to her and told her that I had an idea for a book after bartending for seven years, a children's book, um, she was thrilled. And we had sent our book out to several agents, or let me say a handful of agents and a handful of publishers and gotten an equal amount of no's. And one gentleman, he calls himself the book coach, I got into a phone call with him, and he said, oh, you have to self-publish. He's got this great idea, all this passion, and you've got an endorsement from Mark Victor Hansen. He's like, it'll cost you about $10,000. I said, well, I said, that's $10,000 more than I have. But I decided that I was going to give it a shot, and I had a conversation with my mother, and she said, well, I don't, you know, I'm a kindergarten teacher, and I don't really have a lot of savings, but I have excellent credit. And if you can figure out how to print the books on my credit cards, then let's go for it. And so that's yeah. how we started our company and printed our first 3,000 books on $10,000 borrowed from my mom. Well, there you go. Nothing like mom being around. <laughs> yes. No. There's, there's no, no love like mother's love. And sometimes it doesn't yeah. look exactly like we expect it to, but whether yeah. it's you know what we judge to be good or bad, it's usually what we need the most to. And you got the support and everything else. And uh, and it's nice to have your daughter do something like this too. I say as as a mom, you know, you really like to support your children, and um, it, it's an important thing for you too, for for her feeling that she has succeeded. Yeah, uh, you said something about. What? Sorry. She, she could not be happier. She yeah, loved. and that is, she deserves it. You know, she she created you, and she's done a really fantastic job with you, and you have done a fantastic job with yourself, Laura. You should be proud of you. Thank you. Uh, what you know, I remember uh, in Europe not too long ago, I met a woman, wonderful looking woman, who had the same situation, physical challenge as you do, and he. I spoke to her just a few minutes, and uh, not professionally, we just met, and she spoke about her condition with the whole name, uh, alopecia, what do you, uh, how do you say that again? Yep, alopecia. Areata. Yeah, and she mentioned that name many, many times, and she almost made it like a god in her life. And uh, she saw it as something that was bothering her. What advice would you give her if you talk to her now? I think, you know, one of the most powerful um, tools for me was to really sit down and, and look at the benefits that I was getting. Because like I said, I could easily see the drawbacks. But when I began balancing those, and actually the balance started happening when I was fairly young. I knew that I was learning lessons about love, about compassion, about understanding for other people that I would not experience necessarily if I had just kind of cruised through life with no challenges. So, and then um, it even came even more full circle when I realized that I could go in and start doing school programs and start talking to students and parents and teachers about self-esteem and about loving, you know, yourself. 
so as I began to balance the negatives with the positives, the you know, the benefits, I began to draw the experience more into my heart and it didn't consume me. People like I, I so often forget to tell people or I'm not I'm not that I need to tell them that I'm bald, but I know that they're wondering, you know, why. And yeah. it's so not it, it so doesn't define me anymore, you know, even though I have the nickname the bald chick and I go in and speak, it so doesn't define me anymore that people almost don't even realize that I have don't have hair. But I really do believe in that lesson of um, of really just looking at what, you know, this was this is a lesson that was brought into my life for me to learn something from. And what is it that I'm learning? You know, rather than resisting it or fighting it, labeling it, um, you know, acting like it's a, like a monster or something that you're suffering from. Yeah. I also think that it's very important the way that we speak about it. So people always say to me, they're like, oh, I'll, you know, I know somebody that suffers from alopecia too. And I said, oh, I said, I have alopecia areata, but I don't suffer from it. What I like to tell people is I lost all my hair when I was 11, but besides having no hair, I'm perfectly healthy. And I, I know that just that statement has just created this kind of like energy and, you know, um, just self-acceptance with my you know with myself that really allows me to be free in the world. Yeah, which is fantastic and that has put you on a level of spirituality that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Uh with the acceptance and the love that you now exude and that you work for and the vision that you have for the world, you would never have had that had you been so called normal in quote. <laughs> right. <clears throat> I'm sure. Uh, but you said something when I spoke to you briefly uh, yesterday, I think it was, and you said, oh, you have almost, uh, was it a fear or, or about the hair coming back? What would you do then? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did say that now, more than ever, my hair is starting to grow back and just, you know, strands, but there's probably a hundred strands on my head, and I don't know how many usually make up a full head of hair, probably hundreds of thousands, right? So I have all these little brown hairs and even a few gray hairs. And, um, you know, I just kind of shake my fist at the universe and say, this is not funny. <laughs> now that I've <laughs> finally accepted this. Yes, um, so you have made a fully. name for yourself and a career and a, and a trademark. Right. And I now your so. trademark goes. I'm <laughs> getting it waxed or lasered. <laughs> but I really do, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing my best to open my heart to whatever life experience I'm meant to have next because I certainly didn't, you know, I don't believe that I wished this upon myself. And as I said, it's turned out to be my my greatest teacher and has really been access to, like, the, the greatest fulfillment and, you know, and, and really the success of my career. I know that I know that if I didn't feel unloved as a child, our, this is one of the things that I like, is our biggest voids create our biggest values or, or drive us. So as a child, going through this experience, I felt unloved. So then what becomes my mission? To make sure that children and people know that they're loved. So yeah. without this experience, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Now Are I'm you, yeah, you have a program for children out there? Yeah, I have a program called Self-Esteem Through Love, Empowering Our Children to Shine that I bring into schools all over the country. 
and hopefully, you know, no, my intention is the world. And so I I love going in. I realized early on that when I went in to speak to young people, they're, they're much better than adults because they'll remind you. Now, adults can listen to me talk for 45 minutes, and if I forgot to explain why I have no hair, they probably didn't hear a word I said because they're in their heads thinking like, oh, is it cancer? Is it a fashion statement? Yeah, He's that's right, yes. But the kids will say, hey, lady, you've got no hair. Why? <laughs> and, you know, so I realized that the first yeah. thing that I get to talk about is the fact that I have no hair and, you know, what it is, and I explain to them that it's non-contagious and it doesn't happen to very many people, so they don't have to worry about getting it. But then I talked to them that I did lose my hair when I was 11 and how did I feel and how do you think the kids treated me? And, you know, really just sharing with them that the the lesson of just be yourself, that you begin learning, you know, in, in grade school is really is is really it and it's a very simple lesson though not always easy and a lot of us spend our entire lives learning to embrace that lesson of just be yourself yeah so i get to teach some um you know self um human potential uh lessons inside of my school program along with what it's like to be an author and illustrator and publisher yeah now you've done a fantastic uh, job that and of course, you look so good being bald. Not everyone would look this this good. You have a good skin color, and you have a, a very good uh, shape of your head, <laughs> your ears, and everything. When one looks at you, you look really like the perfect head. Maybe that is also a message that you should show to the world that hey, we are perfect under under you know the hair, uh, and. Uh, Sometimes you might see people who have heads that are not as beautiful as yours, but yours is the perfection, I would say. What do you say yourself? I have a, who knew? It, was, it wasn't, I wore wigs for 10 years be, before I ever took my wig off and let myself see myself in a mirror without a wig on. And yeah. I remember the first time that I looked in a mirror and I was like, I, I was expecting to see this monster. And I was like, oh, it's not that bad. But no. <laughs> they're, they're right in that some people are just not meant for it. But I also really believe that I think that it, when some people look at me or I could look at myself and I could pick myself apart and say, like, oh, you know, my eyebrows are uneven or my cheeks are or my nose is bent. But I really do believe that beauty comes from within inside and that that was a lesson that I needed to learn. And therefore, it exudes. And it looks like I'm meant to be this way because I'm okay with it. There's so many beautiful bald people with alopecia. I look at some of the young people. There's a there's an association for anybody who might be out there listening who has alopecia. There's the National Alopecia Areata Foundation, mm-hmm. and um, they refer to it as NAAS. And when you go onto their website, or I get some of the material. And from what them, is the website? Do you know the website? Uh, AlopeciaAriata.com. Okay. And there's just beautiful, beautiful men and women with no hair, and I don't know, maybe, maybe, we, maybe we were picked because. <laughs> it was maybe that is the higher purpose, of course, for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really love it now. I can't even imagine having to fuss with my hair and. Um, all of that that so many women go through. Yes, think about the all the hairdresser bills you have saved. Uh, you know all that. It's expensive. You know to go to the hairdresser and 
how we have to change our hair color all the time and cut it and do all kinds of things with it. And you have been freed of all that. Yes, I, uh, I, I am so grateful for this experience. And I just, I do know and realize that it's a very unique experience to have on the planet. And I'm also, I'm very, you know, I'm grateful for that, that, you know, I feel like instead of feeling like I'm suffering from something, I feel like a chosen one. And I think that we yeah. could do that with anything that comes our way. And, you know, I know that I'm blessed because my uh, condition or disease is not um, life-threatening or debilitating. But for some people it is because emotionally, for some people it really, um, you know, kills them, But yeah. it, which can cause other stress-triggered diseases. But I really, um, you know, like I said, I really consider myself, you know, a chosen one and blessed to be having this experience rather than someone who's suffering and a victim of it. Yeah. I um, saw uh, on your uh, webpage that that you had uh, studied sociology and that you, of course, went into bartending to practice your skills. (laughs) And uh, what did you learn from being a bartender? Uh, Because, you know, isn't that so, like so many people say, that being a bartender is like being a shrink? Yeah. And my, my Did you see any of that? that? Yeah, got my, my, got my degree in sociology and moved to South Beach and practiced being social for seven years. But the bartending and waitressing taught me a lot of skills. It taught me marketing skills about how to be comfortable talking to anyone because you had a new person in front of you, you know, drink after drink. And, yes. You know, and, and needing to start conversations, and people people do want to share. You know, once they've got a couple of drinks inside of them, they want to, um, you know, either share their joy or a lot of times share their pain. And you're just there to sit and listen. And I guess probably. What did you hear more of? Uh, did you hear more pain, or did you hear more joy from people who were drinking? Um, you know what? I worked in South Beach at a really fun place, and so. I think our our experience overall, it wasn't like a small bar in a small town where people were more coming in to drown their sorrows. Uh People were coming to Ocean Drive in Miami to have a good time. And even though they might have sometimes been drinking to cover pain, it was usually the experience of really enjoying themselves that I got to be a part of. There were people that traveled there from all over the world every day, so I got to, and then and people that I worked with from all over the world. So that was a lot of the experience that I really loved. Did you wear a wig at that time, or did you did. not wear a wig? No, I was wearing wigs the whole time that I lived in South Beach. One of the kind of craziest, you know, it's almost like the village in New York City, and it probably it would have been so okay. And instead, that's I what I mean. It would have been so okay and just fitting right in. <laughs> yeah. No, I wore beautiful wigs, and people always commented, and, and I had no idea because people would say, like, oh, I wore this long, red, like, pin-straight wig, and all these girls would come, and they'd say, oh, how do you get your hair to stay so straight in this humidity? And I'd say, oh, you can, you can, your hair can stay straight, too. I bought it at the shop up the street. So. Uh, you never took it off to show them underneath, did you? I mean, to, to show your, your bald head? Um, I think one one time towards the very end of living there, I went. To, um, I started going out with a scarf on, but I never went out without my wig on the whole time that I lived there. It was yeah. really kind of strange. But now I still live nearby there, and so now everybody there knows me as the bald chick. 
Yeah, which is which I think is a great name. Now, just a very practical question, and this is, I'm of nature very curious. Is it without hair? Is it very cold uh, when it's cold out? It absolutely is. It's one of the things that I share with the kids in my school program. I say, you know, besides making you look so good, what do you, what else you know do you think your hair serves as? And I tell them it's just like fur on an animal. So especially your um, heat escapes through your feet and your head. So living in South Florida, it works completely to my advantage because I stay rather cool compared to most people. But when I travel to places, you know, and I like to snowboard, so I have to be extra careful because I get yeah. very cold. Yeah. Uh, that's true. I've also true. learned to, that my breathing has a lot to do with um, keeping my body warm. And so mm-hmm. as I finally learned to go from shallow breathing to deep breathing, my, my can regulate my body temperature a lot better. Yeah. But it's, uh, there's so many things about our body. We are so used to, to, to being a certain way, and when we are not, we have to, to act in a different way. And also with the heat, then you're more sensitive to the sun. It will hit the top of your head too, won't it? Yeah, I have can a burn your head. block that I wear every day, and I, you know, do not try to not stay out too long. But I really enjoy. Um, I think maybe it was just the wearing wigs for so long, and it always being hidden. That I, I love being out in the in the sunlight and in the ocean, and um, you know, the wind or anything. On yeah, the, just feels so good. It, it must be nice. To touch it. You know, I, I have nieces and nephews, and they love to put their hands on it, and some of my friends. And it's, very, <laughs> it's very healing. I, I really yeah. love it. Yeah. So there we go. I think we're coming to, towards the end of our hour. And you have been a wonderful guest, Laura. It's been very nice to visit with you. And, um, again, your email or your website so people can get hold of you if they would like to uh, to, it's to Laura Ducta.com, and that's D-U-K-S-T-A. And you live in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I do. Yeah. There we go. So I thank you so very, very much, Laura, for for today. And, of course, I'm Helena Steiner-Hornstein. If you want to get hold of me, you can go to my website. And I say that not to you, Laura. I say it to the world. (laughs) It's through www.speakingtoyourheart.com speakingtoyourheart.com and uh, for today I'll be back next Tuesday and of course you can listen to me through the archives throughout the week and throughout the year and Laura will be there too of course. Thank you so much Laura and I will just end with a couple of relaxations if you want to stay online here Laura you could or you could hang up and it will be recorded anyway. Thank thank you so very much much, everyone. for having me. Have a bright and blessed lifetime. Thank Thank you you so much, Laura, and thank you, world. And this is Helena Steiner-Hornstein saying hello and goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Begin to relax now. You relax more and more and more and more. And know that within you there is a place that knows all and sees all. And that is your higher self. That is the source within. And you take a deep breath now. And as you do, you breathe out of all the old. And when 
you breathe in, you breathe in new wonderful energy. And this energy will begin to enter your mind. And it enters your body throughout you. And you are so relaxed now. at peace with yourself. You feel so safe where you are. And now, way up high above you, there is a light. It's like a brilliant star shining way up high above you. This is your star. And this star is now beginning to shine. You are now receiving light from this star. And this light is entering the top of your head. It goes through your body. And now it enters your heart. You begin to love the one you are. Yes. You love all and everything about you. You love the one you are. You are so relaxed. So very, very relaxed. And this love in your heart is spreading throughout your body. you begin to feel love for this light within you. You love you. Yes, you love you. All about you. And now, from now on, you're beginning to feel that you are a one for human being who exudes love to all and everything. Yes, you do. You exude love to your surroundings and to the world. And you are so grateful for being the one you are. You love you. You love your world. And from now on, you're going to send this message of love to all and everyone around you. And light is shining around you and within you. And slowly, slowly, you open your eyes and feel so good about this moment. And you feel so good about you and your life. Thank you very much. And thank you, StephenHalpen.com, InnerPeaceMusic.com, for the wonderful music. Thank you all, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.